really glad to, to be here and to be able to be, to be the privilege of continuing in the series that Aubrey has chosen us to go in, in the direction of. And, I, and I'm so happy we're part of a church where the leadership, like Aubrey, leads us in a direction. That we're not just willy-nilly uh, preaching on any old topic that suits our fancy. Right now we are leading and going in a direction of praying through the Psalms. And, it is spe- and specifically today, it's Psalms 103. Now, when I, when I was tasked to, to begin studying and lo- looking and working on this, um, I first read it, and I, I, I have to confess, I felt like, you know when you're going on 64 and going to Charlottesville, and you cross the mountain, Afton Mountain there, and that overlook there, and on a fall day, you stand there, and you look out, and those orange trees, and the red trees, and the green valley, and everything, and there's just, sometimes it's, it's more than you can, you can really express. I mean, it really is. You sit there, and you're going, red, orange, blue sky, look at that. That's the way I felt as I read 103, and I'm like, how on earth Am I going to expound on this? How in the world am I going to reflect on this rich song? Especially when someone like Esther walks in and goes, You better not mess it up. It's my favorite song. <laughs> There's a richness here. And that's looking to, we're looking to enrich our prayer life. And through this psalm do that. The goal is that the psalms become our prayers, our own prayers. In our own prayer life, we want to talk to the Lord, not merely about Him. I want to know the real God in a way that transforms my life. We all do, right? We want to know Him in a way that fills our mind and tickles our imagination. You want to know the face of God. You don't want to just hear Him like Job talked about, you know, at the end of Job. He says, I've seen the, I've seen the face of God. I've heard about Him. Now I've seen Him face to face. We want that, don't we? We want to know Him in such a way that we love like Jesus loved we don't want to mess around. We don't want to play fake church. We don't want to know him in a distant way. We want communion with him. We want fellowship with him. And in prayer, we are taking hold of him who has already taken hold of us. We're pursuing him who has already pursued us. Prayer is loving the one who already loved us before the foundation of the world. And prayer is going hard after God. And as Aubrey mentioned before in the series, we see that Jesus literally prayed the prayer of psalms. He, he used psalms in his prayers. So if prayer is going in the secret place to be face-to-face with God, to pursue a relationship with Him, then our pursuit needs to be shaped, I believe, by an accurate understanding of who He is, and we should allow ourselves to be guided by the great, by the great poet wordsmith, David, who is a man after his own heart, after God's own heart. But what is Psalm 103 and a lot of the psalms, but, but poetry? It's a poem. There are lyrics to a hymn, if you will. Lillian Morrison, she says, Poems can be a way of pinning down a dream. Almost. Capturing a moment, a memory, a happening. And at the same time, it's a way of sorting out your thoughts and feelings. Sometimes the words tell you what you didn't know you knew. Look at those beautiful trees of the Red Valley. Right? We feel that sometimes going before the Lord. And I believe that the Psalms can, can help us towards that, saying the words that we didn't know we knew. William Stafford is another poet, and he said in his essay, Making a Poem, Starting a Car on Ice, he said, A poem is anything said in such a way, or put on the page in such a way as to invite the hearer or reader a certain kind of attention. The implication being that 
there's a latency or hiddenness in poetry which only manifests itself when a certain kind of attention is turned onto it. And I believe that going to Psalm 103 brings a certain kind of attention to God in our prayer life. All right. Normally preachers at this point in the sermon began expounding on, this, on the passage. Well, I'm going to do this in reverse. I'm going to kind of front end the application part. You know the application is at the end. I'm going to do it at the front end. And the reason is, I guess, because I want to make sure I get it in. Because <laughs> um, I got a feeling there's just so much here. In any case, how do we pray this psalm? Um, well, first of all, let's look at what David does. First verse there, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. This is different. This is a different way of praying. I think David is engaging in a meditation and contemplation. And it's not like the Eastern religion type where you, you know, it's the end of analysis, where you empty yourself of your mind and vacate it and om. It's, it's a contemplation and meditation that's engaging his heart. And as Tim Keller said, it's, it's like a furious analysis. It's an honest dialogue with himself to the core of his being. It's a vigorous discipline, contemplating, meditating. In a way that just isn't about his feelings, but he's praying the truth into his heart, into the core of his being. This is, this is vigorous contemplation meditation. It's talking to yourself and praying these truths. And as you read Psalms and as you pray through them, you are reading them into, your, into the core of your heart. So, my guess, and I, we, I think we can be fairly certain that David didn't do this contemplation and meditation seconds before he's about to take the kids to school. Or he didn't squeeze it in on his throne. Uh, that didn't sound good. So he, he didn't, um, you know, have an array of gadgets, of technological gadgets around him that distracted him. He took that time in the quiet space to pray and contemplate and meditate. He listened to himself, his heart, and the other hand argued with it, making a case towards it with the truth of God, praying it into the center of his heart. So in other words, he, he did a soliloquy. Big word, right? Soliloquy. Like Hamlet, to be or not to be, that is the question, right? Talking to himself. He soliloquized the psalm. And this is how you do it. This is how you, we can do it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, instead of saying that, it's bless the Lord, Ernie. Bless the Lord, Ernie. And you, and you start substituting your word and your, your name in there. Stephanie, do not forget his benefits. Jason, he has saved me from the pit. Right? We start praying the Psalms to ourselves. And we soliloquize. Number two, and it's really underrated, memorize the Psalm. I think it's a great, just memorize it. And that way, when you are waiting in the DMV or you're walking or whatever, and you are in, that, in this life of rush and you find those moments of quietness that you unexpected, that you can contemplate and meditate on it and it comes to you. Third, sing the psalm. We did it in two songs today. I'm so glad that we learned that. Eva uh, jabbed me and said, they play that in Caleb all the time. I was like, cool, sing it out, baby. Sing that all right. That's, that's great. It is very difficult to sing a song, I find, of praise and to be the same person at the end of it that you were at the beginning. Isn't that the truth? So, I walk into 
a dying man's room in the hospital Tuesday night with a guitar. And he hasn't sung a, he hasn't said a word. He hasn't whispered a word in two months because no liquid has touched the back of his throat and vocal cords. He's dying. He has 24 more hours to live. And we start singing songs together. And all he can do is just, he has tubes coming out of him everywhere and the deet, deet, deet noise is going. And, the, he, and he's laying back and he's seeing him as mouthing his words and he's crying. And the man I walked in was just, and I saw when I walked in, it was a whole lot different than we finished singing those songs at the end, singing those praises. And I kind of think, you know, it was, often that happens, right? At the bedside, people sing songs to them at the end. Why, why is that? Why are we different when we sing a psalm, sing a praise and adoration and sing a psalm like this? Why is it that we were different at the end than we were at the beginning? Why? Because we were made for that. That's what we were wired to do. So you, so you memorize this song. I, when, I, when, I was, when I was walking here two weeks ago, I, I ran into Moses, this, uh, this uh, East African gentleman. I told him I was going to be here. And, yeah, yeah, come. Oh, good. What are you going to preach on that Sunday? Oh, you know, Psalm 103 immediately. He started singing, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, that all I... Right? Sing the song. Number four, use his words, his exact words, in, in praying to him in, in, in words of adoration. He, this is a song full of adorations, full of thanksgiving. And, 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 and Aubrey reminded me of this. He said, yeah, you know, um, you, you know that old thing, Acts? Yeah, it's a real practical way of, 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 of structuring our prayers. And I, I learned it as a wee one. A, adoration. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. As supplication, bringing our request to the Lord, right? Well, this is loaded with goodies and ways that you can, as you go to him in adoration, just be equipped with the words to do that. <clears throat> and so you use his words, David's words, to uh, pray adorations. And, and, and the, the words help us express what we didn't know we knew. And it brings a certain kind of attention to our lives. Listen, we, I mean, we all go through those times of insensitivities, right? There are times where we're dry or... We're numb to God in our heart. And for lack of a better phrase, I think by doing this, by praying, using his words, it primes the pump. And you know how it is like um, someone says something and just doesn't quite register and you even sometimes say it and it still hasn't registered. Like, okay, like I'm sitting by the, by the bay window and, and Eva comes up and I'm watching TV or reading a book or something and she walks up and stands next to me, looks out the window and says, Dad... There was a bad storm last night. It looks like a branch dropped and crushed the roof on the tree. And I'm, I'm reading. And yeah, a branch. Yeah, dropped off the roof, crushed the roof of the tree. No, Dad, really. There's a, root, there's a branch out there and a storm last night brewed down and crushed the roof of the tree. Yeah, branch out there. Dropped, crushed the roof. Branch out there! Why? Crushed the roof of the tree, right? We, we do that and something wakes us up. And I believe that praying the Psalms can do that to us. It can waken us up in our spiritual lethargy. Like Job, we don't want to just hear him. We want to see him face to face. And prayerful meditation of the Psalms is praying your heart hot until it catches fire. All right, I'm going to switch gears. Why does praying this song have the elements to catch our heart on fire? And I'm going to go through two or three of these. 
It has elements that catch our heart on fire because it reminds us of who he is and his benefits. So, in our house and in Ebola Good, we have a raging debate between who's better, Batman or Spider-Man. And uh, I think we all know the answer to that. But And Zeke says there's not even a debate. And I think Luke would have serious, serious questions of that because we don't even know Luke's identity. Um, I think something Spider-Man is... You know. <laughs> And we, and we see these cartoon characters and we have these, these one-dimensional ideas of them. They try to make them so deep and complex, Batman and Spider-Man. But really, at the end of the day, they're just cartoon guys and they're very one-dimensional, right? We have a tendency in our culture, we swim in it, right, of making God into a cartoon God. One-dimensional. He's a great force of energy. Or he's stern, judging God. Or he's our great buddy friend. Or... He's the unmoved mover, right? These cartoon images of who he is. And they infect us. And we swim in it. And we, and we can't help sometimes to be affected by it. Their view is flat because they choose the one that they like oftentimes. We choose the one that we like sometimes. And there's no personable, personal engagement. But God is complex, isn't he? And we see that in the Psalms. And it helps remind us and bring us to the reality of that. He forgives all our iniquity. He heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love. He satisfies you with good so their youth is renewed like eagles. He is slow to anger. What does that mean? That means that, well, there is anger there, right? But he's slow to anger. And he's patient. And his anger is short-lived. He heals our diseases. All of these descriptions of who God is we see. And as we, as we pray these words and we meditate and, and all those things that I said at the front end, it begins to, it, it begins to shape who, who, our understanding of who God is as a father, king, friend, judge, and a lover. And instead of choosing one over another, we begin, our heart begins to be rekindled because you see him, uh, you, you start growing as a Christian because as, as you hold them all together. It's, it's, it's kind of that unfolding that, that of understanding who he is that causes us to grow. Ah, he isn't just this. He is this too. And that's what helps us in Psalm 103. Another element that the psalm helps catch our heart on fire in prayer is that it reminds us of God's expansive historical love. <clears throat> The psalm really kind of starts, if you look at the structure of it, it kind of starts from a more individual basis and it expands and, it, and you start seeing them use all a lot. The word all a lot. The word is, I mean, it's praised by his works in all places of his dominion. The Lord has established his throne in the heevens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty one who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his... It goes on and on like that, right? It becomes more and more encompassing of his creation and of his, of his expansive love. By placing ourselves in this universe-encompassing psalm, we are, as David does, submitting to God and his will and putting us in harmony with the entire cosmos God has created and claims as his own. It... it, it it puts us in perspective, so to speak. You look at Isaiah 40. This is one reason why I had to read Isaiah 40. And oh, it does it in spades, that, that wonderful, wonderful chapter. So I said it reminds us of his, of his expansive love, and we see that in the creation, but, I, but also his historical love. 
And he uses history to bring himself to a point of adoration to God. Now, to some of us that the word history evokes boredom, I, I, I challenge you in, the, in, this, in this one thought here. First of all, when I first was told to read this, to, to preach in this psalm, I read, read it and I was immediately reminded, because I just finished reading about the, the Exodus account, I was reminded of Israel. And, and in verse 7 he says, He made his no, way known has made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And I was, re, I re, I was, recall, I was recalling how, um, how over and over during the, you know, the plagues that, he, that, that God visited on Egypt and all these signs and wonders, in the midst of all those signs and wonders, what were the people of Israel doing? They continued to tack towards the safe and say, I don't want it. We would rather stay in slavery in Goshen, Egypt, than take the risk of going out into those free open spaces and possibly be free from slavery. We would rather stay here. And what does God keep doing? He keeps going in and around and over and through their belligerence and their stubbornness. And he brings them to the wide open. They're arguing against him to not do it. And he still does it. And it's these kinds of reminders that David is bringing, bringing his people to. And as I meditated on that, I have to, be, I have to tell you, I, I, even now, I, can, I am certainly, I have not arrived as the contemplative, meditative Psalm 103 expert. It is, this has been a new journey for me, too. It's been a wonderful challenge to me. But as I was, as I was meditating one day, I was, I was running or walking or something, on this very thing, the historic, his expansive um, historical love, it just kind of hit me. And I, I, just, I just thank God for the, this, this fruit that just, just sprung in my mind. And I, I wanted to share it with you. I came home and I just wrote it down. And it goes on like this. Who among the Jews, like Saul, later to be Paul, would have ever dreamed... That God's expansive love would include the Gentiles and would even be God's instruments for spreading his name. Who among the non-slaves of Paul's day would have dreamed God's expansive love would include slaves and women and that they would share his glory? Who among the Jerusalem Jews would have ever dreamed that the gospel would have so transformed Rome that was formerly the very epicenter of paganism that it would become a hub of Christianity? Who among the Roman Christians would have thought that the pale-faced, red-haired primitives where miserable rain and fog dominates the weather in the farthest corner of the empire, the British Isles, who would have ever thought that they would, they would, be, they would care for the gospel and proclaim it and become a hub of Christianity? And who in the British Empire would have thought that an African, East African revival would have occurred such that on even given Sunday in Nairobi... There are more Anglicans worshiping in all of North, North America. I think, is that right? And who amongst our great-grandparents, who amongst them would have believed the awakening in South Korea? The people looked down on and despised by the Japanese, colonized by them, that they would have been growing so large that they're meeting in churches and they're meeting at 4 a.m. for prayer services or whatever that is. You all probably have a better idea than that and then... And I, by the way, this is the Eggerts. They're from, they've just arrived uh, in their new home. They've been living in Motel 6, and they, uh, they were in Korea before that, from Washington, D.C. area. Welcome. 
Who amongst our grandparents would have thought that the totalitarian, Marxist-controlled people steeped in Confucianism from the largest nation on earth amidst persecution and suffering would see the gospel sweep across, transforming it into another hub of Christianity? China! It's stunning. Okay, and so this is what happens. So I, I think on this, right? I'm meditating on it. I think on this. It brings me to a, pra- a point of praise, but then it brings me, remember the acts? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It points me in a direction in my supplication time that, blows, that just blew me away. Because now I'm seeing the historical fact that God meets and transforms people, groups, societies, nations that are totally unexpected. And so how does that shape what I am praying in my life, in my circles, in my town, in my family? Harrisonburg, think of the place that you would least think that God would be working. And maybe that is where he's going next, right? We can be praying and petitioning in a way that's totally different now. With expectation that God can and will do something fantastic. Family members that I thought were off the chart that, yeah, that's not going to happen. Right? It transforms into our supplication time. And now we can pray in a very, very different way with the hope that, oh my goodness. Right? Praise God. Can I get a witness in here? This is really awesome. It's so... I know we're Anglicans. This is an Anglican church. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The psalm helps catch our heart. On fire and prayer, finally, and that it reminds us of God's fatherly love. As a father shows compassion, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to his children. Compassionate love for us. Now, um, your parents can understand this probably better than anybody. Um, when Luther's playing soccer, and he's out there, and he goes up for a header, and he knocks heads with somebody else, and he falls back down on the ground, and he's woozy and... He's rubbing his head and maybe there's a little blood or something like that. What happens? What happens? My stomach churns immediately. My knees get weak and I'm just, I'm just a mess. Why? As a father, there's this visceral love and compassion for my son that I can't control. And it will always be that way, right? Always. This is the same kind of word that God is using here. And he's only used it a couple of t- other times throughout scripture. It's, it's, uh, it's chesed, right? Compassion? What verse? Uh, as the father shows compassion to his children. Verse 13. It's a visceral love that's shown two other times, I believe. Maybe three. Isaiah forty-nine thirteen. Can a woman fail to have compassion for the baby at her breast? Breast? What baby is at, his, at her mother's breast? That she doesn't have this visceral love and compassion for. This amazing, deep, emotional love. You see it another time. First Kings 3.26 with Solomon's wisdom and the two mothers, right? The, the prostitute mothers. One of them, their baby died. She, she wake up, the other mother wakes up the next morning and that mother has stolen her baby. They go to the Solomon. Solomon says, well, cut the baby in half. And the, the mother of the baby that said, where, who, who had, whose baby was stolen, she says, no, 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 she can have the baby. She, the liar can have the baby. The one that stole can have the baby. Why? It's a, it's a compassionate love that's just a visceral love. 
That is the love that we're reminded in the psalm. It's the same love God has for us. It's that parent love. Love rooted in the heart of God. It's a counter-conditional love. Remember the Israelites? There was nothing that they did, certainly, that qualified them to receive this freedom-giving love, I guess you could say, that, that, that freed them from slavery. We know this because there, in verse 14, he says, He knows we are dust. He knows who we are. He, he knows that. But yet, there's no conditions that somehow have qualified for this compassionate love. He loves beyond, around, and through any conditions in order to love us. So the psalm helps catch our heart on fire in prayer because it also shows a compassionate correction from God. He compassionately puts us on the path that is right. You know the two types of parents. The permissive parent, right? The undisciplined child is the unloved, she goes, is the unloved child. And the, ret, ret, how do you say it? Retributive? Ret, ret, retributive parent. That's a tongue twister for me. The retributive parent. If you're ungrateful, I'll show you ungrateful. Right? The Bible does, does say God gets angry. But if you stopped right there and only remembered that part, you would hold a cartoon image of God. Because it goes on. Because it says he is slow to anger. And his anger does not last long. He fights the rebellion to rescue us. So how many times have we heard the parable of the prodigal son that we heard read, read today? And, and I, I, I love the way it's referred to uh, more often now as the parable of a loving father. One of the, one of the, the, the greatest moments for me in, in video production, that's what I do most of the time in case people wonder what I do all the time. Um, one of the greatest moments for me was I was in, um, in Guatemala and we were at the Pocomchi and we were working on a version of the prodigal son and the actor who was the father happened to be a recently um, uh, saved man he, he, he was a, an alcoholic um, that uh, gave, recently gave his life to the Lord and he was roughly 40 or 50 years old and he was the father and uh, we set up the scene, and the idea was he was going to, as we see in Scripture, he was going to run to his son. And, and, and running to his son is significant, particularly in the Middle East. Why? Because it was humiliating. He had to hike up his robe and run, and that was a humiliating thing for a middle-aged guy like that to do in the Middle East, a person of his, of his import. And, and so, likewise, with the Pokem Chi. Uh, apart from running and playing soccer, um, you know... An older guy like that running, it, it just doesn't, it's just not done. Um, it, it's below you. It's, it's undignified to do that. So we asked him to, to do that. He's kind of, eh, okay, all right. Uh, he was kind of embarrassed to do it. it was, he had to really muster up his acting skills to do this. And it was great because the wind started blowing. And it was kind of this great long shot. It was just awesome. It was a long shot. And right as he started doing it, he, he, started, he saw the sun. He starts running toward him. And we have the, later on, post-production, put the music up, the, the soaring strings. And he's running to him. And what happens but his big 10-gallon cowboy hat flies off. And that trumps even more the idea of running. Having your hat fly off like that and to not go back and get it. Oh, that is just... That's very undignified. <laughs> but he keeps doing it. 
And he keeps running. And boy, he, some act, man, he just nailed it and just embraces this, this guy, this actor. And they just embrace and embrace. And I had to feel that he was just living this, this, this scene himself. And that hat was long gone. That's the image of our father, of our father in heaven, running towards us and the compassion that he holds for us. And you see that, <clears throat> excuse me, in and through this psalm. It helps to remind us of his historical expansive love, his fatherly, compassionate love, his correctional love. You see it throughout the psalm. We are reminded of this over and over. Through praying psalms like one of the we led to a place where we discover words we didn't know we knew. We are reminded of God's expansive historical love. And our hearts are inflamed in prayer, knowing the living God.